Hello, Seasons Podcast listeners. This is your host, Lauren D. McCoy, and I hope y'all are just doing amazing. This season, we are talking about parenting. And with this topic comes a complexity of emotions that fill our hearts and minds. Everyone seems to have an opinion on parenting, even those without children. Y'all just need to just keep your opinions to yourself. (laughs) Whatever the opinion, though, one thing is for certain. The journey to become a parent is one that each couple embraces without any knowledge of what's to come. That is the God's honest truth, y'all. We ain't got no clue of what's ahead. And there's couples who can conceive at the blink of an eye. There are others that may struggle with conception, but in the end, they are able to carry a child. And however, for some, the ability to conceive is completely impossible. Every couple's journey is totally different. No two are the same. And in this special moment, we have an amazing woman that is one of my all long 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 time friends and you some of you may remember her from uh, last month when we were talking about love and marriage she was on seasons with her husband Gerald and uh talking about being an interracial couple and so one of the things that she has struggled with in life is infertility and not only infertility but also parenting multiples So I thought, who better than to have my Lindsay Boo on Seasons to talk with us? Um, But I do want those that are listening to know ahead of time that if infertility is something that you've struggled or are struggling with, that, you know, there there may be some triggers in this moment that we're we're getting ready to dig into. And uh, so I just want everyone listening to be sensitive to the content knowing that um there could be trigger warnings so let's dig in all right y'all so this is my friend miss Lindsay boo y'all heard her probably a while ago last month um her and her husband were on talking about love sees no color and so i wanted to have her back because Lindsay got good energy y'all and so hey Lindsay. hey everybody (laughs) thanks for having me back yes thank you for taking the time to talk with me and just share your journey with our listeners i appreciate your willingness to be open and sensitive and share things with us of course Um, So I know that there are women and couples that might be listening to this who will be blessed to hear your story. So thank you again. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. You ready to dig in? I'm ready, girl. All right. So let's do a little introduction because some people that made it hear you and Gerald's moment um, don't know who you are. So tell us a little bit about you. who you are, where you're from, how long you've been married, you know, all that yeah. stuff. Um, my name is Lindsay Purify. I am from San Luis Obispo, California. Um, I'm married to Gerald Purify. We've been together 10 years. Um, we have two children together. 
and twins and I have two stepchildren. Um, Caleb is almost 16 and Coral is almost 12. Um, yeah, I'm 37 years old. I'm a registered nurse, busy mom. Yes, yeah. you, you are busy. Um, so let's see, me and Lindsay, I don't even know when we met or how long ago or where like that. I mean, me and Lindsay are just, we've been in each other's lives for a long time and I love her to death. So yeah, you know, that's, that's how we know each other. Um, <laughs> I guess you take Church and Gerald because I mean, Gerald's like yeah. my best friend, one of them. So I remember one of the first times I actually like went to something like besides church was um, Leilani's dedication. So I know we had yeah. hung out like a couple times before that, but I was kind of like, am I invited? And Joe was like, yes. And I was like, oh, okay. That was one of the first times that, I think it was from then on out that we hung out like a lot after that. Right. We had met before that, but I think after that we were like friends. Yeah, that was a special, that was a special moment. Like, it was. I, I cried through a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot. Yeah. Uh-huh. And Which definitely it. pertains to this episode of why I was crying. Um, but yeah, I cried through like most of that ceremony. I was right. so happy for you guys, but I was yeah. so internally um, sad. Leilani's invitation was one of like, it was super personal. So like yes. if you're invited, you had to be like in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, so... Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that sets the tone. (laughs) Um, So the road to pregnancy, you guys heard her say that she has twins. Um, So the road to pregnancy, Lindsay, it, I understand it to be not an easy road um, for you or Gerald. Um, And, you know, Gerald comes into your guys's marriage with two children from a previous relationship, but having a family together is where the story begins. So can you tell us like, um, was having a family something that you guys decided prior to getting married in that conversation that y'all had at Firestone? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, so I've always wanted to have kids. Um, Maybe one, maybe two. Gerald had two already, so he had already had experience having kids, and I had not. But once we knew we were, he knew that that's something that I wanted in my life, and he said, "I'm totally open to having kids with you if that's you know where this leads to." And um, so I set it on the table right away because it was something that was important for me. But when we first started dating, I had already had struggles with fertility before him. I ha- So it didn't, my fertility issues didn't start in this marriage. So I knew this is important to me. It may be more difficult for me. Would you be, you know, up for that or not? And he said, yeah. So can you share with us, if you don't mind, a little bit about your fertility? Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, I never knew that anything was like wrong or going to be different or difficult or anything for me. My The females in my family are extremely fertile. Everybody's been married at, or not married, I'm sorry, been pregnant at like 18. And I knew that's not what I wanted. I was trying to wait until I had a career set with somebody, you know, married, kind of settled down. And uh, I did not think that it was going to be a problem for me. I thought, you know, when the time comes, I'll try to get pregnant. I'll get pregnant. We'll have a baby and blah, blah, blah. And that is just not what happens. Um, 
I was married previously. In 2008, we got married and um, we knew also that we wanted to, or we thought we knew that we wanted to have a baby or a child together and create a little family of our own. And um, we were trying, we were actively trying to get pregnant and I had never been pregnant. So there were some signs in the fall of 2008 that I really, should have been a little bit more keen to um, as far as thinking like, am I pregnant? Am I not? But I was still having um, my menstrual. It was just a little bit like different. So I didn't think too much of it. Uh, we were at lunch one day and I had started having cramps that morning. So I thought, okay, well, you know, it's just that time, right? whatever. We go to lunch and um, the pain was getting increasingly like really bad. And um, we were at lunch with my dad and my dad had looked at me and he said, are you okay? And I finally just broke down crying because I've been kind of like internalizing it and holding it in. And I said, no. And long story short on this first part is that I, um, I had an ectopic pregnancy in my left fallopian tube and at that lunch, a 12 week old embryo had ruptured my fallopian tube and I was internally bleeding and um, uh, I didn't even know I was pregnant. So right. this began really, um, you know, for over the next 10 years, a huge uh, fertility battle for me. Yeah. And um, and that was that. Right. Yeah. So Gerald know about this um, when you yes. guys and you're getting together. Yeah. And so knowing that he had two children, how was he about the thought of having more? Like, I know that's something that you wanted, but how was he about that? Gerald had always expressed that he wanted to have family with me, he wanted to have kids with me. We didn't know exactly how it was going to look. We knew that because we had two kids already, um, as far as my stepkids go, that it wasn't really in the works for us that we wanted to adopt the God bless everybody who is in that position. But I, we knew that that wasn't really like in the works for us. Um, and at the time after I had lost, I had lost my left fallopian tube in 2008, um, with my first ectopic pregnancy, but I still had a second one. And my doctor had said, you know, I, I don't know why that happened. Hopefully you just get pregnant. And so I still didn't know the extent of how bad it or how hard it was going to be for me. Right. Um, so it's something that we wanted to both do, but we didn't know time-wise. I was going to school to become a registered nurse, and I knew I didn't want to have a child during that season. Um, and I wanted us to be able to provide better. And meanwhile, we were also, you know, had had his other two kids. Right. Not full-time uh, by any means, but, you know, on a basically every other weekend dad schedule. Yeah. So I don't know much. I mean, I, I haven't, I know people always have a story, right? When, when you tell a story about something that happens to you, they're like, Oh, I had an auntie once that, yeah. but I <laughs> yeah. really did have an auntie, my dad's sister, his only sister. She, she had multiple of those, like the yeah. fallopian tube thing. So what happened? I mean, I never really talked to her about it cause I was a kid, but I or a teenager. I remember that diagnosis and so what happens when that happens like because you only have one fallopian tube do you always lose yeah. your fallopian tube or 
can you live without your like what what's yeah the- you don't need fallopian tubes but you need fallopian tubes to get pregnant just like you need ovaries and a uterus to get pregnant and maintain a pregnancy so with my ectopic pregnancy my first one it was uh the egg essentially after it gets fertilized it's supposed to travel into your uterus and implant into your uterus and then hopefully potentially grow a healthy little uh, human being in an ectopic uh as far as mine go it was in my tube so it implanted in my tube and started growing in my fallopian tube obviously it's not equipped for that there's not enough room for that hence at 12 weeks it ruptured my tube open and there was really no saving that tube um the embryo and the fallopian tube i almost lost my life at that with that first ectopic i was in the hospital for like seven days it was a pretty big deal it was very 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 um hard for me it was a huge blow to my ego as far as you know women are supposed to just be able to get pregnant and some people it happens on accident and that was my first really like uh uh-oh what happened and no there's no rhyme or reason to it nobody had any answer for me except for potentials right right you know so so that made you feel like you were less than or not less for sure for sure that like i couldn't my body could not easily perform what a woman's body is you know innately set up to do is how i felt right i felt like my body was failing me and my you know desire to be a mom yeah yeah mm-hmm. and so how how long were you and gerald married before you guys decided to have kids <laughs> well um we were actually pregnant before we were married um not a lot of people if anybody really knows that but we were together for about a year so we knew we wanted to have kids we just didn't there was a period of time when i was in nursing school that we were like i for sure don't want to be pregnant right now but um before that before we were married but a year into our relationship i thought i had um the flu i felt super sick i at the time because once i had that first ectopic i was deemed high risk so every month i was i would have to um take pregnancy tests and whatnot and i am kind of putting throwing myself under the bus as far as we were not um we we had sexual intercourse before we were married yeah so um i had found out january 1st of 2013 that i was pregnant i had a positive i had like five home positive pregnancy tests so a large part (laughs) of me five because i didn't believe it because after my 2008 ectopic uh my husband at the time and i had continued to try to have to get pregnant after that um for the next, you know, two and a half, three years that we were together and nothing, never anything, no potential. Am I, am I not? I just could not get pregnant. So I really didn't believe it. So I took literally like five home pregnancy tests and Joel was at work. And so I went to like meet him at work, like with my, you know, (laughs) pregnancy test, like happy new year. But (laughs) in the back of my head, I was about it I couldn't just be that happy-go-lucky pregnant for the first time mom I didn't have that I, I was robbed of that in my opinion um, so I was very concerned right and um, and watched really really closely so we didn't really have an exact timeline um, Wait, but we did get when Lindsay what happened to that pregnancy 
So uh, I was at work a few days later, and I just I felt a little like tinge in my right fallopian tube, which was my only remaining fallopian tube, and I just knew. I just knew it was in my fallopian tube. So um, we had gone to the hospital because I knew like this is high risk. I almost lost my la- my life last time as far as internally bleeding. And um, I had an ultrasound. My hormone levels were through the roof. Positive pregnancy test. Your hormones are through the roof. There's no sac in your uterus. And I said, I know it's in my fallopian tube. They could not find a. They could not find it. They couldn't see it in my fallopian tube. So this was a Friday, and they sent me home and said, you come back in two days and let's you know reevaluate and see if we can find it. So we had gone to church on Sunday and we had didn't tell anybody we were very I, and I was just extremely I was distraught and I was just trying to hold it together because I already knew uh, kind of part of the process, but I didn't know what this one was going to look like. So um, we went back to the hospital after church and I had a transvaginal ultrasound for like 50 minutes. And then she finally kind of, they let Gerald like sit in there for it and they kind of, you know, wrapped it up. She, you know, she doesn't say anything obviously because they're not allowed to say anything to you. And by the time that I was wheeled back into the emergency department, the anesthesiologist was there, my OB was there. And then um, he's the one who delivered the news that we found the heartbeat in your fallopian tube. You're going to surgery right now. Yeah. Um, before any further complications. So I went into surgery with like a, you know, 10 minute notice and my mother-in-law came and prayed over me. And and I really felt like I was going to physically be okay, but I had to go in there mourning the loss of my fertility, of another baby, of hopes, you know, uh, for carrying babies in the future. And what was this going to look like for us? And it was devastating. And so you know they wheel you back you're all alone you're crying in the OR and the nurses are just trying to like it's okay and um I woke up he had saved my fallopian tube at the time and removed the embryo um he said he saw nothing that would indicate why this is happening to me Mm -hmm. um but you know I don't know that he had looked at my fallopian tube with a microscope at the time so um nothing obvious was happening I was six weeks along at that time and um and yeah so I went home to recover another surgery and another lost baby (laughs) and where did that put you like mentally at that moment just you know it was awful I Gerald was more concerned about me than the loss of the baby right um, he was not happy about it, but he was very much more concerned with, are you okay? And I appreciated that because he took care of me when I was just trying to also kind of take care of myself. I was, honestly, I was devastated. Yeah. And I felt like this is it. Um, you know, what else can I do? Hopefully, I had, I always remained having a little bit of hope yeah. um, at the time. I was like, okay, hold, something's gonna come through. Like at some point, I had no idea what or when or how, but I had a little bit of hope. But I was mostly just devastated. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, obviously, you know, you guys got married, and then, mm-hmm. um, how far into the marriage did you guys decide, okay, let's do something? 
Um, we got married and then I started nursing school. So at that point I knew, I didn't know what was gonna happen with my other fallopian tubes. So I stayed on birth control during that time, not knowing do I need to or do I not? Um, because I, I wanted to get through school and I wanted to then set up a career and I just, you know, didn't want to risk getting pregnant during that. And then um, I had been working, I graduated with my RN at the end of 2015 and then I started working in 2016. And it was at that time that I was kind of like, okay, let's, what do we need to do? Because um, I think halfway through my RN year, I had stopped taking all birth control because I was like, well, if I get pregnant now, I'll at least make it through my year. Right. Or, you know, the rest of the half of the year for school. Um, after the two years of school that I went through for that program. And then um, if it happens, it happens. So I didn't want to prolong it too much if it was going to be a possibility. But after that, then we kind of, we were off birth control. And then when, when I wasn't getting pregnant at all, then we were, I started looking up fertility doctors around just to see like, what do I do? Yeah. What's my first step? Yeah. And so when you guys decided, what was your expectation? Like, did you... Did you have any expectations? Were you just like, mm -hmm. I don't know if, obviously, because if you looked into fertility doctors, you were like, I know I can't do this on, on our own, right? Yeah, I knew that we needed to figure out would I be able to carry or would I not? What does that look like? What does that cost? Yeah. Um, is it something that we would be up for or not? And um, yeah, it was... Uh, I always carried that little bit of hope. I just wanted to know. I wanted to see, like, if I exhaust this, you know, trying to find out, is there any way for us to have have a kid or kids? Um, can we? Or should I, am I going to have to leave it alone? Right. I didn't want to just drop it on my own without kind of exhausting certain roads. Yeah. Trying yeah. to go down. And so I remember when the journey started for you guys, where you guys told mm -hmm. us, like, okay, mm -hmm. uh, start looking into what our options are. And I was like, okay. Like, <laughs> I I was ready for some kids to come, you know. But can you tell the listeners, like, about your um, conception journey? Like, how long um, did all of this take? You know, just all the details. Um, years. It took years. So in 2016, I had got a referral to an in vitro specialist, or he's really just a fertility doctor. Um, and he's an embryo specialist. He's really good with like hormones and things like that. I got a referral to him um, in 2016. So he had ran all these tests um, on myself, on Gerald. Um, labs, everything. And because of my history of I had no left fallopian tube and then my right fallopian tube had already had surgery performed on it, he wanted to um, do a test where they basically watch a live ultrasound and push dye through your cervix up through kind of like a spaghetti noodle type catheter. It goes into your uterus and then through the fallopian tube to see is you know, is this thing fun a functioning fallopian tube or not? It's extremely painful. And they kind of use it as like a roto-rooter for some women who have tube problems because if you push hard enough, sometimes it opens up their fallopian tube. Oh. So he was pushing. I was like almost screaming in tears. And I have a pretty decent pain tolerance. Um, and it was not opening. So 
at that point, we took those pictures back to the fertility doctor and um, he had said that tube has to come out um, if you're going to go into any journey with in vitro because um, any fluid that sits in there could be toxic and potentially kill whatever um, baby that you may be able to achieve with in vitro. Mm -hmm. So then I had to go through all those steps with insurance getting my fallopian tube taken out. So in March of 2017, I had another um, surgery to remove my left fallopian tube. So I had to recover from that and, you know, a few months and whatnot. And then I have labs redrawn. He thought I had a, a tumor on my pituitary gland. So then we were talking about basically removing you know, a potential tumor off of close to my brain. And so it's just all these, you know, it's the road does not go from A, B, C, you know, you, I mean, I guess it does. It doesn't go from A to Z just like that. Well, it really have. Yes. (laughs) So what, what was your relationship like with God? Like, did it affect that relationship that you had with God? Did it affect the relationship that you had with Gerald? Because I mean, that's a lot of emotions. That's a lot of questions. That's a lot of insecurities. Yeah. Um, tell me about that. My relationship with God, I was pretty solid in my relationship with God. Obviously, I feel like relation, your relation, your personal relationship with God, mine at least, kind of goes in waves. Sometimes I feel super close and sometimes I feel a little bit more distant. Sometimes, you know, it just depends. At the time, I felt like I was God and I were like pretty solid is how I felt. I didn't mm-hmm. understand why this was happening to me. I definitely had those normal human reactions of like, why? Right. Uh, what did I do to this kind of, I felt. Um, even though in my rational mind, I knew, you know, things happen to people all the time. It's not God doing that to you. Right, right. I also knew that at some point there would be some kind of platform to be able to talk to other girls. So I thought, is this happening to me so I can give other people hope? Because I I really leaned on success stories um, a lot during that time because honestly, it's lonely when your friends and your coworkers and your family are getting pregnant. Guess what? Surprise! Um, it's lonely. It's a lonely, lonely journey. Gerald... Gerald is extremely supportive to me, but no man, I don't think, can ever relate to a female's fertility, whether it's good or it's, you know, hard. Um, And so he would do what he could. He would say what he could. He would support, what do you need? What do we need to go? He would be at all of our appointments. Um, He would hold my hand through things. He would take time off work. He was very supportive like that, but I didn't think for one second that he actually really understood um how I really felt yeah he had already had children he you know he knew what that was like he yes he wanted to have a family with me he him um raising his kids he knew he wanted a different experience we wanted to raise kids in our own household when when kids are you know, raised in a divorced situation, there's a lot of ups and downs, you know? Mm-hmm. And we've really felt many times over the years that Gerald has been 
kind of robbed of being that dad to the kids because there were so many just fences built against him on purpose from, you know, the other parenting side that really shaped his parenting. He can't, you can't, you know, we wanted to be able to have kids ourselves and like not have somebody else telling us what to do, how to do it, when you and how, yes. And if you're doing, you know, whatever, we wanted to have our own family that very much involved Caleb and Coral, not to, you know, disclude them at, in any sense of the way, but, um, but he wasn't, he didn't have a full dad experience, you know, with his other two kids. And, um, so we did, we wanted to experience that as well, but it's still not the same. And yep. especially dealing with somebody who has had fertility issues, he didn't feel, you know, sometimes he was like, I don't know what you need me to say, but I'm here for you. Yeah. Um, That's the best thing you can do is just to be there. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't always have to say something. Just yeah. your presence speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, so then were you on board with this plan that the doctor gave you? What was this plan to... So my only option was to go through in vitro uh, fertilization because I had no fallopian tubes. So without fallopian tubes, there's no way that your eggs can go from your ovaries into your uterus. You have to have that pathway through the fallopian tubes. And I no longer had any. So I have healthy ovaries. I have two very healthy ovaries and I have a healthy uterus. So uh, my chances, my hormones are fine. My history is fine. I don't have chronic illnesses or anything like that. So my chances, um, you know, are like millions of other women who go through this potentially good, but it's, it's, it's hit or miss. Mm -hmm. You know, some people go through IVF four, five, six, seven, many times and never achieve even one healthy pregnancy. So um, one thing I, I should have said though, with as far as like my relationship with God, we had gone to um, a service. I think you were there, mm-hmm. right? Were you there? Yeah, we we're singing, I think. Or you guys were, I wasn't that time. Right. Um, and Pastor Jason and had called me up out of the crowd and was prophesying over me. This had never happened to me before. And um, he had said things to me that were just nobody would have known. Things about my upbringing, um, my relationship with my my mom, things like that, that were just very spot on. And he kind of started with those. He kind of looks me like up and down and he stops like at my abdomen and I already knew where he was going with this. Um, and so I kind of immediately broke down in tears and he told me, um, God wants you to know you are going to carry a little girl and you are to name her Tabitha. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that you have a healthy womb and you will carry um, your own child. Mm-hmm. So that had happened after my ectopic pregnancy, my second in 2013, but before I had started in vitro. So that was a huge, I, I really felt incredibly blessed by God that he would give me that tidbit of information because that doesn't happen for a lot of people. And I felt like he was trying to relieve my distress about it by telling me it's going to happen. That God, like, right? Yes. And relax. People that may not know what prophecy, yes. it's just yes. what- um, someone that is uh, spiritually connected to God hears something from God to share with somebody else. And yes. so 
all that prophecy in the Christian world. So, um, yes. and so to name her Tabitha, I remember that. Yes. Story. And I was like, I was excited. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Another little bit. Yes. No, but <laughs> right away though, that's the thing. About no, that it. was years before. Yeah. I even really started seeing an IVF specialist or anything like that. But IVF was my only option. Um, and so, but I could potentially carry my own and things like that. So the, it was looking up, um, but in vitro is extremely expensive. Um, Can you it's tell very about how expensive, you know, <laughs> you're probably no less than like $20,000. Wow. Some people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, I was extremely blessed to only have to go through it once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but it's very expensive. Of, that's a down payment on a house or like some places even a house yes car <laughs> uh, education many trips you know paying off debt whatever it may be mm-hmm. we um had no debt we had no credit cards we live we try to live below our means i was working as an rn and i was really um trying to set myself up for it right and then it you know it comes in i didn't put it on credit or anything like that i think it's i wanted if we achieved a pregnancy to not be like well that's great now we can't even you know afford a car seat i didn't want it to be like that so um but it is for it (laughs) i did i remember i remember y'all like both you and gerald worked extra extra yes put stuff aside and then you know it comes in waves so in the beginning you'll get this kind of plan of action um you start taking birth control for a month before anything else just to kind of get you um on track so they know exactly when you're ovulating and whatnot it's a lot of medications um a lot of injections gerald was giving me injections sometimes three four times a day um so it's it's a it's a lot it's emotionally wearing and um it's a lot but such is motherhood you know yeah it is (laughs) it really is um with that were you scared so tell me take me through the process of like the action is it called implantation what's it called Yeah, well, there's different parts. So at first you have to produce eggs so that they can remove them. So it's the retrieval of your eggs. So you go on birth control first, then you start all your hormones. And then, and they really, they kind of control exactly the window. It's what your body would naturally do if you were to get pregnant on your own. But because now you've got some science involved, um, it has to be pretty exact because you'd be really surprised to have to, to know everything that has to be like perfectly in line to get pregnant. Yeah. You know, it's a lot, the temperature, the timing, like it's a lot of different things that people are just, you know, one time and they get pregnant. So right. women like me who have struggled with fertility, um, it becomes very apparent that it is not just so easy. So, um, after the hormones for a while they bring you in um very specific like time the day you know what you're supposed to do everything like that and for the retrieval of your eggs they um put you under so you're under anesthesia but very short-term anesthesia and they use this extremely long 
kind of intimidating looking, looks like a catheter, but it's actually a needle on the end. And for each egg that they are removing out of your ovary, the needle goes into your ovary and suctions out the egg and so forth. And they get out um, as many as they can see on the ultrasound. Wow. And and so then what happens? They have to be fertilized. Yes. Yes. So that same appointment while... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. At that same appointment when I was getting kind of surgery prepped, Mm -hmm. um, they prepped but did not prep Gerald for here is your cup, here is the bathroom, you know, bring it back when you're done. And um, so they have sperm ready. And then as soon as they have your eggs ready, what they didn't, a lot of times, a lot of women only have sometimes one egg that's like a good viable egg, sometimes more. We had, I think, close to 30. So he was like, holy cow, this is insane. Um, You did great. It was also extremely painful because it's, you know, a needle poke into your ovary for every single one. So I was hunched over, you know, for like two days um, in pain. But so then it goes to the embryologist and they put them all like in the same Petri dish as far as eggs and sperm and they kind of do what they would do if it was inside your body yeah and there's no there was no forcing of any fertilization there was no um anything like that so whatever naturally occurred it just occurred outside of my body as opposed to body um I want to say it's five days to see how they're replicating you know what are they doing are they all good did they fertilize which ones did not um, again, we were extremely blessed. They all, they all looked pretty good, but I think there was 11 that he said, these are cream of the crop. They multiplied very quickly. They did exactly what they were meant to do. All the rest did. They were just, you know, a little bit behind these best ones. Right. So you go back five days later for the implantation. Um, you have to have an extremely full bladder, which is so difficult to maintain. Yeah. Um, Because it has to like push, it's so hard, you have to pee so bad, Um, but it pushes up your, and you actually watch live, the embryologist came in and talked to us and they said, you're, you're awake for this procedure, it's uncomfortable, but it's not, it's not nearly as painful as the retrieval, and, Mm -hmm. um, but same thing, like a catheter through the cervix, so automatically your uterus always kind of starts cramping because there's something foreign in there and it's like what is this um Wait, did you guys decide because you have to so oh yeah <laughs> so what is that uh uh 20 29 eggs how many eggs lived or i want to say th- or, well, no, we had 11 like 11, great no. like we're gonna pick out of these 11 embryos now fertilized right. embryos these are Right. So you're not going to be Optimum, but you do have to decide how many eggs you want to do for the implantation. Then, so how did you guys decide that? What was the (laughs) conversation like? And what did you do with the rest of them? So you do have to decide. My doctor would not implant any more than two. Mm -hmm. It's just his, um, what he morally feels good about because you run the risk of 
each individual egg splitting and being identical twins, just like that naturally could happen in your own body. Um, so if you implant two, you could end up with zero, one, two, three, or four. Um, so it was between one to two. You know, mm -hmm. what do we want to do? Gerald was leaning more towards one, and um, I was I I leaning more towards one except for the fact that I thought I can never do this again this was so taxing it was expensive I just I can't do this again is how I felt and he said okay let's do two partially we came to that decision also because my chance of carrying twins for my first IVF treatment and to carry for like you know, at least full term for twins was like less than 3%. Wow. He kept telling us, prepare yourself to lose one or both. Just prepare yourself. Like yeah. twins is not the norm. This is everybody thinks that multiples always come from IVF, um, but they don't. Right. So a lot of people do IVF. I have many friends who do IVF. Oh, a few friends who have done IVF and they've done one. They've had one at a time, um, sometimes with two eggs implanted. So we thought, well, our chances are so low and we don't think that we're going to redo. So let's do two. <laughs> and I remember, I remember because uh, I was just like, these guys are going to like have like quadruplets or what do you call quintup? Like, it's just going to be crazy. Like we would just make fun of y'all. Like, <laughs> but we, yeah, we make fun of you. Just be uh -huh. like, you, know, you guys are screwed. <laughs> but just the excitement of the anticipation like I mean we were very hopeful we didn't have any I don't think I remember us praying about it together and just um the excitement and I know you were probably super scared but I was like yeah. oh this is gonna be okay like it's gonna be okay because like it just has to be it just has yeah. to be okay um and so you guys decided <laughs> to implant two and yes. then where you you kind of go home, you know, they implant them, you sit, you lay on the table for another 30 minutes and then you can finally go to the bathroom and you go home. Yeah. And then you and wait. How was that? The waiting. <laughs> it was awful. They tell you don't take any home pregnancy tests because there's lots of false negatives or false positives with those. Just everything has to be done by labs. Mm -hmm. You know, everything is a lot more difficult. Yeah when you have to have fertility treatments. Um, you're watched like a hawk, um, lots of blood draws, lots of doctor visits and things like that. I was a healthy 33-year-old getting pregnant, um, but it's almost like you're almost a geriatric mom. You've had, you know, you're a high risk if you carry twins. So everything's just kind of more of a big deal. So you go home, you wait. Mm -hmm. When I took my, I did not take a home pregnancy test. I really, Gerald's like, let's do it. I, and I'll, we held out so um i did not take one and then i had my blood drawn to see if i was pregnant it was like over fourth of july weekend so this all implantation we were implanted on gerald's birthday mm -hmm. um or implanted or retrieval one of them was on gerald's birthday i think the implantation was on gerald's birthday which is and 
right? June 27th. And then I, and then it was like over 4th of July weekend or right after 4th of July weekend, but they were going to be, the office was closed. So I was like, how are we going to get our results? Yeah. So I went to the lab, took our test and we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, they make you do that twice. You take two different, at least my doctor did. I took two different labs multiple days apart to see. And he called me personally on on the day that the office was totally closed and um, had let me know that my hormones, you know, were this level. All your levels are this, this, this. It's huh? through the roof. Congratulations. You are pregnant. Right. So then when yeah. did you find out that you were pregnant with twins? <laughs> so we go. The one thing about when you do IVF is that you get a lot of ultrasounds. So... Um, I think in a regular pregnancy, what I've heard from my friends is maybe you have a couple to a few ultrasounds the entire pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Well, I had like an ultrasound every couple weeks. Um, so with our first ultrasound, which was maybe a couple weeks after that or a week or so after a positive pregnancy test, there was two yolk sacs in my uterus. Mm -hmm. So he said, there they are. You've got two. Um, my hormones were kind of indicative of that. But he couldn't obviously say for sure until we saw them on the screen. And again, he kept telling us, prepare yourself. This is probably not going to last. Yeah. So, you know, I never, I never through my entire pregnancy felt comfortable. Yeah. Never, never. So in the beginning, you're, is this, are they going to make it? Are they not? Every ultrasound from there on out, they were both still there. There they are. You still have two. Oh my goodness. Okay. Just no, you know. And then you hit certain weeks, just like a normal pregnancy would, that your chances go down of miscarrying. And um, we didn't know. I had. I didn't have healthy fallopian tubes. We didn't know what my uterus was going to do. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, we at, at like eight or nine weeks, I graduated to my OB, and then I you also because I I was pregnant with twins, had to see um, I'm high, I was high risk, so you have to see a a specialist, and so we were getting pictures of them in ultrasounds all the time, and they and they really every time we went, you know, both they were still there, both of them. Yeah. yeah. So this is a side this is a side trail though because I yeah. Hilarious. And I didn't even tell her I was going to ask about this, but can you tell us, this is like far long, you had the big belly and stuff. Like we, we kept waiting for the belly to pop and it finally <laughs> popped and the twin belly and it was like so it was cute. Huge. Incredible. It was huge. But Lindsay decided that she was going to do a maternity shoot. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Oh. To lighten the load, lighten the the um the air so Lindsay decided she was going to do a maternity shoot so Lindsay can you tell us about this maternity <laughs> shoot that should so have been you know <laughs> oh, I know most you know most women or mom pregnant ladies want to have some kind of pictures taken to commemorate you know the memory of it for years later yeah so um I had gone out <laughs> to uh oh my gosh I can't tell us about the name dress. right now the dress so I ordered a dress it was very long it was winter so it was January when I was taking my pictures my dude 
is technically March 14th for an actual full-term pregnancy. However, my twin due date was February 14th. Mm -hmm. um, Any time around that time was going to hopefully have some healthy, two healthy babies. Um, a lot of twin moms don't make it very long yeah at all um but so that was like our our goal so come january i wanted to take pictures and i was thinking i want kind of like winter wonderland i don't really want even though it doesn't snow here or anything <laughs> but um but you know i wanted that i wanted like a woodsy wintry wonderland kind of thing i didn't want like beach photos in the sand right. i just didn't so go out my sister takes pictures i order a dress it's it has like a longer train um, it was red. It was like, <laughs> like yes. Oprah own on her own magazine. Vogue, <laughs> Kardashian meets Lindsay Purify. <laughs> I love my pictures. My pictures came out very pretty. Um, however, you know, walking, I was in sandals because we're kind of like in the woods, like out close to where my mom was living. It was like at the bottom of the, of the grade here in um, Slow County, if anybody knows where that is. And um, there's hiking trails and whatnot. And it was just very beautiful. A creek, these, you know, it was just very beautiful out there to me. So we're kind of trompsing around, going to different areas, taking these pictures. Oh, let's sit on this like giant, you know, tree and over here and over there. Every time I'm moving, I'm having to pick up my dress because, you know, I don't want it to drag and it's so long. And I'm only 5'4 and this is like a, you know, and I'm huge pregnant. I was, um, when I, when I gave birth a month later, I was measuring at 48 weeks pregnant. Um, so at that time, like a month earlier, I think I was measuring at like 42 weeks pregnant. So I was, or, or more, I can't remember, but I was huge and pretty uncomfortable. So, you know, we're chomping around taking all these pictures. Okay, great. Looks great. I go home. I change my dress. I hop in the shower to like relax. I think it was the next day that the back of my knee started itching and lo and behold, I spent the last covered in poison oak. <laughs> poison oak. That darn dress. Every time I was lifting up my dress, it had poison oak on it, I guess. Like every time I was lifting it up and down the back of my legs, it would rub across the back of my legs. and. I have never seen poison oak so bad. I was miserable. I couldn't sleep. Gerald sat at the couch with sheets and calamine. I ended up having um, to go on steroids. I saw a dermatologist. I, it was, <laughs> if whoever's had poison oak already knows it's so miserable. But to be huge, yeah, pregnant with twins at the end, oh, and we that was laugh. awful. I mean, because it was like the it was so awful. was beautiful. The shoot was beautiful. Lindsay looked amazing. And it was just like, after all that, all that, you, you, she had done so well the whole pregnancy. And then that shoot is what what just like put the icing on the really cake. It was hard too, though, with twins. I was so sick. So, so, so sick until like 22 weeks. And then I had a sweet spot for maybe like six, seven weeks. And then it, it was just, it was hard. And then I got poisoned out. <laughs> yeah. It was. But I mean, would you do it again for the pictures? No, I would take my tail to the beach. I would never. <laughs> that was, it was so miserable. The girl kept telling me, I bet you wish you went to the beach. Don't you? <laughs> it was miserable.
Yeah. Okay. So the twins were supposed to be born March 14th. And so did you, did you have any scares at all during that time? Uh, during pregnancy or? Yeah. No, no, they were fine the entire time. They were fine. I was just super sick. I couldn't eat. I wasn't gaining weight in the beginning. I lost maybe like 11 pounds at the beginning. I wasn't throwing up. I was just always on the verge. Yeah. Um, I started taking diclegis, which a lot of uh, moms probably know about. It's it's an anti-nausea that you can take when you're pregnant. And I was really miserable for a while. Mm-hmm. When I was 12 weeks, I started passing out. I passed out at my brother and sister-in-law's church. Um, that was a fiasco. So I really started just kind of not doing a lot until, you know, in in my in the my twenties, my twenties weeks. Yeah. And then it was kind of fun. I had a sweet spot. I could do stuff again and eat and, you know. Yeah. But they were fine the entire time. They were fine. Yeah. And yeah. then so then, then lead us up to when did your water break? Did they induce you? Like what happened? I had a scheduled C-section for February 21st. I tried to talk to my doctor into February 14th, but she said, no, let's try for February. Let's give them a little bit more time if they'll, if they'll take it. Um, and so that was scheduled, but I was going into the hospital for my NST. So where they put the monitors on you to check your contractions and to check the baby's heart rates. And um, so I'd have like, you know, three or four of those on, I had to do that twice a week. So it was very time consuming. Gerald never missed one appointment for anything. Shout out to Gerald. He was so good to me um, and so attentive. And he was, he's just so good to me. But um, he would come to all of those if it was on his lunch break or whatever. It was twice a week. It was a lot. And then, um, you know, every time you leave, they give you, because I was contracting. So I was contracting for probably maybe like three, four weeks. I was dilated to a two, to a three. Um, Sometimes I'd have to stay there for a long time with those monitors on because I'd be contracting too much. Is it gonna stop, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes Cameron was always, so I have boy, girl twins, Cameron and Olivia, and he was my baby A, he was closer to the cervix. And um, he is just chill, like his dad. So there would be some times where they'd be like, well, we have to monitor baby A for longer because he's not, you know, he's sleeping or whatever. And um, so they always give you a sheet of paper when you leave, you know, if you see this, 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 or this, come back, come straight to the hospital. Otherwise we'll see you in two days. And mind you, I'm a registered nurse. So I know a lot of these things, however, when you are pregnant with twins, you are waking up probably four or five times in the middle of the night to um, go to the bathroom. So I did not sleep for, I didn't sleep in January, I didn't sleep in February. You know, I wasn't, it was, it was hard. Yeah. But um, I got up one night to go to the bathroom and I would always leave the light off and just, you know, navigate without the light on, let my eyes adjust or take like the flashlight on my phone because I would try, it was very just, I'm sure it was disturbing to Gerald. He never complained about it, but I felt bad because he was still working. Yeah. And I was not at the time. So as soon as I started passing out, I was not allowed to work. So um, I had gone to to the bathroom this particular night on February 13th and it was like, I don't know, maybe 3.50, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I had turned the light on. I don't know why I turned the light on, but I did. Well, I was spotting. And so I thought, uh-oh. I had not spot 
before mm-hmm. um, ever at all during my entire pregnancy. So I was like, uh oh. So I called Gerald <laughs> and he pretended not to hear me. So <laughs> he tells me later. He's like, I already knew what was happening. I just needed a second longer. <laughs> I'm not in the bathroom again, like, Gerald. And um, he comes in and I tell him. I'm spotting. And so he's like, all right, like we got to go. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not ready. I hadn't packed my bag. I I wasn't ready. I was gonna, I didn't shower that night. I was going to shower in the morning. So I'm like, let me just lay down and read my paper to see like this <laughs> something that I need to go in for. Girl, I already knew it was. So I go to get back up because I was like, I need to take a shower. And he said, absolutely not. We're not taking, like, you can't take a shower. Like, what if your water breaks in the shower? Then it breaks. I know. I was like, oh, well, like, I'll be clean. Like, well, I gotta take a shower. He's like, Lindsay, no, like, we have to go. So he goes to help me out of the car. Now, mind you, like, even, or he helps me out of the bed, I'm sorry. Even rolling over in bed, I couldn't, I had to hold his arm every time I rolled. I couldn't maneuver, like, my belly back and forth. So um, he comes to the side of the bed to help me get out of bed. And as I stand up, um, I was like, oh, I think my water's breaking. And so I walked to the bathroom and I had the total like movie scene (laughs) gush of water in the bathroom, Um, which is super cool, except for that my contractions started like right then. Uh, Yeah. So we got in the car and um, I yelled a little bit in the car at times as far as my contractions went. They were super painful. And off we went to the hospital. And then so, yeah. born, tell us their, tell us the day they were born, the time. I remember, I remember like, fresh <laughs> little baby. It was so fun. It was. I mean, it was, it was hard, but like, uh, they were born on February 13th, 2019. Um, at Cameron was born at 7.22 a.m. And Olivia was born at 7.24 a.m. And um, Cameron was six pounds, one ounce, 19 What's and a half Cam- inches. What's Cameron's middle name? Cameron Dwayne Purify. He and- is his daddy's son. Um, Dwayne, at least. He gets it. His dad wanted to name him that. And baby girl. Okay, so Cause- you all heard me say a few minutes ago that I was to name Tabitha, and then you heard me say Olivia. So we really struggled back and forth. We really had wanted, if we ever had a little girl, we just kind of knew that we were going to name her Olivia. We just knew from a long time ago, from even before we had lost, you know, our first baby together. Um, we just knew that that's what we wanted to name her. So I prayed a lot about it. Tabitha have to be her first name. Can it be her middle name? I really struggled. I asked you guys. I asked other friends um, whom I knew would give me honest, like, um, not just you know random yeah why not i knew that you knew the meaning behind it and that you would you know care about your response i only got responses of yeah why not you know we think that it's fine i think i don't really remember anybody being too opposed were you opposed i don't remember i don't think so middle name because i love the name olivia that's yes i love i know so her name is, um, so what we had wanted to name a baby was, uh, if we had had a girl, was Olivia Camille. And, um, but we felt like Olivia Tabitha was a little too many uh uh yeah. you know? Olivia Tabitha Purify. So we named her Olivia Tabitha Camille Purify. Yeah. And she was a little five pound, two ounce nugget. Um, 
And so yeah, then the actual parenting journey began. began. And just for the record, Olivia looks just like her dad. Yes, she does. Just like his mom. Yes, he does. Twins at all? No, they don't. (laughs) Olivia's like looks like she's four, and (laughs) she's super tall. She is that of like a four or five year old almost in height. And Cameron is a short little nugget like his mom. (laughs) (laughs) How is it having twins? You know, it's 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 so many things. Just like any parent would say. Um, I find things when, first of all, it's exhausting, I think, first. Uh, We really strive to be like good parents to them, and I put them first. I don't drag them through my life Mm -hmm. to, you know, if that makes sense. I really try to cater to raising them. Um, It's tiring, and it's very rewarding, except for that (laughs) we are just turned three years old and um three is a difficult age right for sure but it's well, so fun and that they were born during a pandemic like they right born the year before but once they turned one the- when we would have felt comfortable like let's take them out to restaurants with our friends and right. let's go here and there and kind of get them used to all those kinds of things like okay and that part, yes, this is our life. Like, let's go. This is what we do. We're a family. This is what we do. Uh, we couldn't really do that. So we, um, but part of it was really cool because we spent a lot of time together. Um, Gerald didn't work for a while during that time and neither did I. Um, and so we were home to get all together and it was pretty fun. But um, but yeah, it's hard and it's rewarding. And I just... I try to put so much effort into them because I really want them to be just the best little versions of themselves. Um, but I think having two at the, I think almost every parent that I have said, you know, that says like, Oh my gosh, I don't, how do you do two at the same age all at the same time? And, and it's hard. I think it's, I can't say because I have never had a singleton pregnancy and singleton child one at a time. But I really believe it's like exponentially harder. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard. A lot of what, even when they were infants, you know, they're both crying. Who do you cater to? Who do you get first? They, you know, um, are you spending enough time with either one of them? They both right. grow at the same, they have these, you know, sleep regressions and leaps and developmental leaps and things like that all really close to the same time. And um, so it's kind of like, you know, I remember I watched them once as a baby and I was just like, <laughs> God, I had Leilani with me and Langston because it's like, you have both of them. They both want to eat at the same time. Well, yeah. who's going to comfort them while somebody makes that bottle? You know, exactly. it, I, I don't, I, it's yeah. not for me. God knew. But, <laughs> and then on top of that, to have, four kids when the other kid when the older siblings yes. come visit that's like yes. a full house like how yes. do you manage that and still manage yourself and your marriage you know you just do what you can Gerald and I had a really solid foundation we we're together seven years before we um, were pregnant 
And so we really had a solid foundation. I had spent those years with the older kids. We had our own relationship going it, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was a really sweet period when I reflect on it. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, I really appreciate those years, especially with the older kids, because like any family, even if they're just your own biological kids, and then you have a baby, let alone two babies, the attention shifts. It has to. You have these little humans that you can't just go in the kitchen, get themselves something to eat, and can't survive without you. So um, it's difficult. You end up staying up later because now the twins are asleep and you guys want to play board games. And you end up, you miss soccer games and basketball games and things like that because I can't take these twins off their schedule or it like messes them up for not just the day, you know? And um, life really shifts and changes. And then as a mom, I think that we carry a lot of the mental and emotional load on our shoulders mm -hmm. along with working and everything else. So, you know, we spend time together as much as we can so when they we have we have followed a schedule with them because it gave us a little bit of our freedom yeah. back little bits at a time so sleep training we sleep yeah. trained that sleep training when i heard about that i was like i think because Lindsay and i and our 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 families used to go to lunch every single every sunday every <laughs> yes. i miss it and then when the twins came there was one point where it was just like <laughs> We're sleep training and that schedule doesn't work. I'm like, it's 1230. Like, I didn't understand that. But nope. that, that wasn't my life. But Lindsay, what was the sleep schedule? Like, so they sleep trained at separate times because we wanted to do it when they were like appropriate. You really shouldn't sleep train before they're six months because they're just mentally unable to understand the concept. We did Cameron first because he was when he was seven months old. Um, you, we did do a cry it out method, which a lot of people are against. But Cameron was ready. We waited until he was like pretty. Now that is very little, but um, he was pretty ready. So what you do is they 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 share the twins share a room. Um, they had cribs side by side, but in the same room. They 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 would sleep like in our beds and stuff in. Um, at times but we really tried to keep them in their crib so because mm -hmm. i know like healthy sleep but sometimes like out we would just have to sleep so we figured it out as healthily as we like possibly could so we knew we had a sleep train because we were like not sleeping gerald was back to work when they were six weeks old we knew we had to like do something when we could it's a little bit you you sleep train at night first because babies understand night sleep better first and um you put them down at a certain time. You start weaning their feeds every night. Uh, it's a very methodical thing. You go in, you're allowed to like touch them. Then the next time you're not allowed to touch them and you just get them used to putting themselves to sleep mm -hmm. as opposed to you always putting them to sleep. And it is the best thing that we were able to do for them and for us. So. Right when he was seven months old he was sleeping through the night in his own crib in his own room olivia was born with something called laryngomalacia she had a little bit of tissue over her larynx so when she was very little it was bigger and um she would have these episodes of like sleep apnea so i really had i really did not sleep for a very long time because i had to like watch her sleep because she would stop breathing 
Um, We had to take her down to Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. She was scoped and they said she'll grow out of it. She's not a surgical candidate and she has, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was very scary for a long time and we couldn't really let her cry for too long. She would turn blue. So um, when she turned nine months, she was doing really well with it and we thought let's just try and see how it goes if it's not working for her yet let's stop i literally laid her in the crib that night she rolled over on her stomach and went to sleep she never cried she's it was like she wanted to yeah um so they were sleeping about 12 hours a night and then and then we sleep trained for naps so they still nap um about you know hour and a half to two hours a day olivia's like dropping naps and then they sleep at night on their in their own room they put themselves to sleep Uh, they're going through a little three-year-old sleep regression right now but that shall pass did it come from a book or something that you yes there's a a, yes so there's a lady um i only know her as taking cara babies c-a-r-a because that is her name um she's on instagram she has programs that you can purchase it literally it, because what it did is it made it so they were going to bed at like 6 6 30 when they were that little so it gave us that time in the evening so no we couldn't go on a lot of date nights but we would like order food or cook food hang out watch movies again yeah. um now that they're of a certain age we are able to get um you know we, we can go out on dates again and things like that so your freedom kind of comes back in time mm-hmm. um but it's a huge commitment when they're little especially when there's two we don't have um, grandparents helping or aunts and uncles helping or anything. It's really on Gerald and I. Mm-hmm. So we've really just had to, which is our responsibility, they're our kids. Right. Um, but we've really had to learn how to juggle it. And and I and we have. I mean, not every day is perfect, but, um, but you know, it works really well for us. So, right. Well, yeah. let's, as we close, if you could share or encourage any of our listeners who may be going through something similar, I mean, the stories of infertility are endless. Like when mm-hmm. you look stuff on TikTok and just mm-hmm. uh, it, uh, Google, um, and some people didn't have your story. Like, I you know, know. Or it didn't work the first time for them. Mm-hmm. They're on their 10th time or, you know, um, they've just given up and so you know what do you have to say to them and help them to kind of navigate the road um what do you got to say oh this is such a difficult one because it's such a personal journey and everybody takes it so differently um it's lonely i would say that try to link up with people who are going through it. Sometimes linking up with somebody who is a success story is more depressing at the time because that's not happening to you in that moment. And it makes you feel like, well, why did that happen to her? And it's not happening to me. Um, It's nothing really personally against the other female. It's just more of a disappointment for yourself. Um, You know, the one thing that really like held me was my relationship with God and my faith because at the end of the day when when you want something so badly and it just doesn't naturally happen for you you go through such a myriad of emotions Mm -hmm. that you feel broken you feel worthless sometimes and it's not you're you're Fertility is not who you are. It's what is happening to you in your life right now. 
there's so many different things now. Some people just need、um, hormonal help. Some people have to go all the way through IVF. Some people have to have donor eggs or donor sperm if their husbands aren't producing or whatever it may be.、Um, I feel like there's always hope. And sometimes, though, that road ends. Without a baby, and、yep. that, and there's lots of women that are told it's not, it, it's not going to happen,、um, and maybe adoption or because a lot of people be like,、well, why don't you just adopt? Well, it, that doesn't erase, you know, your fertility issues and everything that you innately just want to have and to be a mom to your own offspring. So, you know, as As much self care as you can, and as much research, and looking out to different doctors, getting second opinions, and then opening up your mind to am I am I okay? Can I function without this happening in my life? And focus on other things, whether it's career or family or in a different direction. Maybe the light in your life is going to look differently than you thought,、right. and maybe it will work out. But I really think. That with females who deal with infertility, you have to be realistic and look at both sides. You can have hope, but you have to be realistic and think this may not work out for me. And I had also gotten to that place. You know, if this doesn't work out for me, then it doesn't work out for me. I am grateful for my two bonus kids. I really am. But it's not the same experience. It's not. It's nothing like having my own two, and I can tell you that out of my own pure experience. It's 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 different.、Um, so, you know, I, that's not the that's not the most hopeful advice, but、um, it's lonely. And so, as much as you can take care of yourself and speak out on it and link up with other females, because. It, We're talking like millions of women、yeah. who are not able to just lay down, get pregnant, have a healthy, happy baby, and carry on with life.、Yeah. It's so I'm glad that you're shedding light and that、um, I'm able to tell people. But because、um, there's a lot, there's a lot of females, so you're not alone. You're so not alone. Yeah, and I think I, I mean I've never experienced this, but just not. Isolating yourself, you know what、yeah. I mean. Just being able to <clears throat> have somebody to talk to about your feelings,、yeah. um, because there's a lot of feelings there that can take place, and you can start overthinking things and reading into things like, "Oh, my stomach hurt." Well, maybe this, you know, just like、yeah. diagnosing, just all of those things. But I think it's super important to have a strong community of people around you to help you. Um, just be normal, you know, for、yeah. that means. But you know, like just to take your mind off of off of the pressure and the expectation. Yeah, there is a lot of pressure and expectation. But when that's what you want, that's what you want, and it doesn't really just go away. So to talk to somebody who's also going through it, just like、yeah. you said, is it, it's an important aspect to your mental health. Your mental health, you have to take care of yourself. You have to because. When that time comes that you become a mom,、mm-hmm. your mental health has to remain a priority because at at that time, you are now at your own mental health and your own you know you're now at the bottom of the totem pole. Everybody else's needs, at least those of your children, come first. Yeah, and、um, so it's important to get into that habit now, and knowing that your self worth is not based on your fertility. 
it's yeah. not it's really not but it's a hard concept when you're going through it yeah yeah well Lindsay thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us and I hope y'all that are listening were blessed by um, Lindsay's story and that it gives you some hope and some encouragement and just some comfort and peace about your own uh, fertility situation and just know that you are not alone that's no. so that there are so many people out there um, so many resources out there and so I I hope that this encouraged you and if it did you know drop us a message on our social media pages and until next time everyone keep the faith bye 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 But the